0: Today's reading comes from Psalm 137, let's read. By the waters of Babylon there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. The word of the Lord. Defeat, uh, depression, and uh,
1: demoralization have, have always been a lived reality for God's people. If I were to ask how many of us in here this morning are feeling defeated or depressed or demoralized, most of us would answer affirmatively and for one reason or the other. Uh, Psalm 137 introduces us to to God's people who are facing perhaps the, the worst type of defeat that a human being can face. Now, God's people had been warned by God that the Babylonians would be used as an instrument for judgment on them if they did not hold up to their end of the covenant. Uh, And so it happened. The Babylonians came, and the unthinkable happened. They totally ransacked Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed everything. Everything that represented their national identity, their community and family structures, their religion and their pride, everything gone. Oh, what a day this was. Do you remember what that day was for you? The day you got perhaps that phone call that changed everything in an instance or when you received that uh, doctor's report, that meant the very worst. Oh, what a day. And this was a case a few weeks ago when our our Christian brothers in uh, Ukraine woke up to the news that their country had been invaded and war was erupting. And in that moment, everything changed. Their plans for the future, their plans for their kids, everything that was normal, gone. And so these people are taken captive. They are separated from their homeland. They are separated from their families and they begin new lives in this strange land with strange gods and perhaps a strange language and strange culture. And so they are sitting by the rivers of Babylon, the Tigris and the Euphrates. And they are thinking about their home, and they begin to, to weep. So, when we sit by a river or an ocean or any body of water, there is usually a, a serenity and a, you know a, a joyful stillness that comes with that. The jet blue water s- uh, flowing slowly over shiny shiny large rocks, um, perhaps a few ducks quacking and uh, peddling their webbed uh, feet against the water. This is supposed to be peaceful and serene, but it is not. In fact, in the first movement of this text, we see a harrowing lament of remembrance. Verse 1 reads, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept, When we remembered Zion, the Israelites are weeping and they are lamenting, and this very idea of weeping and lamenting might be strange to a lot of us, but I want to encourage us friends that as God's people, we, we do need to recover the lost discipline of lament, taking time to moan and grieve the difficult things that we see in the world and in our lives, and expressing those to God, expressing those to our Father, because He cares. See, if we hate evil and love God, we will naturally lament. Eugene Peterson says these words, he says, Our hate needs to be prayed, not suppressed. Hate is our emotional link with evil. It is the volcanic eruption of outrage when holiness of a being or another's has been violated. It is easy to be honest before God with our hallelujahs. It is somewhat more difficult to be honest with our hurts. The way of prayer is not to cover our unlovely emotions so they appear respectable, but we expose them. So that they can be enlisted in the work of god 's kingdom, friends, we need to take time to to moan the injustices of this world and the injustices in your own personal life. We need to take time and moan the pain, the sickness, the sorrow, the death that marks our lives on this other side of genesis three in fact, the, the book of Psalms, which are the songs of god 's people. Has more songs of lament than any other genre. So this is important in our formation and in our prayer lives as a discipline. I wanna to talk to us for briefly about what I call the Jesus Duke of Lamenting. One author and speaker, John Acuff, he coined this term Jesus Duke back in 2010 uh, to describe the type of person who takes what is clearly a joke and reverses its direction and turns it into something holy and serious. We all know a person like that, right? It is this person who in an unhelpful way bombards others with Christian jargon so that they evangelize or maybe so that they encourage this person or maybe sometimes so that they sound better and in so doing they lose that person friends when it comes to lamenting we have the propensity we have the temptation to quickly move on from it and use christian phrases to justify why we quickly moved on you and i have have the propensity to Be experts at Jesus juking lament. I'll give you an example. Person A has suffered the unimaginable loss of their young child in a freak accident and they are obviously weeping and devastated. They come to person B. To Jesus juke this person from person B would be to quickly tell them about how all things work together for their good without taking time to actually dwell on the pain and the sorrow and expressing that pain and that sorrow to God. Now, is there anything wrong about reminding people that all things work together for good? Absolutely not. But the truth is, we can hold both things in tension, The truth that God will use bad things for good on one hand, and the truth that some things in life hurt on the other. As one writer puts it, to cry is human, but to lament is Christian. The psalmist brings all his trouble, all his sorrow, and all his pain because of the injustices that he has gone through To God. And friends, we have the same opportunity to lean in to our Father, to express our pain and our longing for a restored world. I am sometimes too quick to move on, and I'm sure you are sometimes too quick to move on. Move on to the next thing without thinking and lamenting the brokenness of our world in the presence of our Father. Oh, Lord, how long will people experience such pain? How long will the prideful and evil dictators of this world continue to oppress and suppress your people? Oh, Lord, how long? Lamenting is what Christians do. Notice the reason for their lament. They lamented as they remembered Zion. Zion. Have you ever been far from home and you remembered home? Most of us have. But have you ever been far from home, but when you remember home, all you can do is weep because home is no more. It has been destroyed. It has been decimated. Everything that defined what was home to you is gone. Zion. Oh, great Zion, the city of David, the Lord loves the the gates of Zion. He loves it more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said about you, city of God. Zion was the place where they got the satisfaction because God dwelled among them. This was the seat of David the king. This was the very place where God's kingdom was. But here they are, captive, far from the glorious Zion. And Zion itself and its glory is gone, and they are longing for their home. They longed for Zion in much the same way that we Christians long for the Zion to come. The new Jerusalem, the the new Zion. So the psalmist and his fellow Hebrew captives did not want to lose sight of the old Jerusalem, ruined and decimated as it was. And in the same way, Christians do not want to lose sight of the coming Jerusalem, glorious and mind-blowing as it is. And as the text proceeds, we see that they have so much anger and so much sorrow, so much sadness, that they hang their musical instruments to the trees. I don't know if some of you remember from a couple years ago, uh, the infamous uh, rapper Kanye West, he was performing in front of an audience in New York when, when his assistant rushed up to the stage called him on the side and told him that uh, uh, his wife, his ex-wife now, um, had been robbed at gunpoint at a hotel in, in Paris. Um, it was, this was in the middle of a song and Kanye shouted, I'm sorry. There is a family emergency. I have to stop the show. As he rushed off the stage and dropped the mic. For Israel, the the people of God, they they couldn't play music because of their sad thoughts when it came to Zion. This was a a family emergency. This was a a family tragedy, a a family problem. The music had to stop. Perhaps part of it was their regret for, for their own sins which had caused them to be in this place of judgment. Perhaps they couldn't fathom how they could live another day in this situation. They lost their song. This is how bad this situation was for them. We as God's people are singing people, right? But in this instance, their captors are are taunting them and asking them to sing for their own entertainment. Sing us one of those songs of Zion. Think about that. Hey, you, how about you sing us one of those songs about how great your God is? Hey, you uh, kept, captured slave. Yeah, you right there at the back. How about you play that tune? Uh, and, and you who's uh, working hard over there, how about you, you sing one of your songs of Zion? Can you guys sing for us about uh, your good, good father? It's mockery. They were indeed saying, where is your great God now? Where is he? See, songs of Zion were songs of victory. And so on this day, they cannot, songs of, they cannot sing songs of victory, especially for the entertainment of their captors. So they don't, and they perhaps faced consequences because of it. They refused to sing not because they didn't like the songs of Zion or they didn't have any songs of Zion, but perhaps they didn't sing simply because it was not time to sing the songs of Zion. It was a time to lament. And friends, we should all grow in understanding of what time it is when we face trials, when we face injustices ourselves. There's a time to sing songs of victory, But there's also a time to lament. In the second movement of this text, we see the renewing of his trust in God. So while he refuses to sing, he doesn't stop there. He goes on to express and declare his loyalty to God and his kingdom. Even in this strange land. So we see a renewal of trust in verses 5 through 6. It reads, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. The people of God have been rebellious against God, but they seem to be thinking rightly about God at this point. See, I think if they had decided to sing songs of Zion in this foreign land when their captors asked, I think it would have been a clear sign that they've forgotten Zion. They've forgotten their God and they've forgotten his promises. Because the songs of God are not for the entertainment of their captors. So they don't sing their songs. They don't play as an act of protest. But in the very next breath, in 5 and 6, they remember God and they renew their commitment to him. They remember what God has done. Verse 5, if I forget your Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. The idea here for the psalmist is that he would rather not be able to use his musical skills than to forget Jerusalem. Perhaps the psalmist had First Kings 8, 40, uh, 8 through 49 in mind when he penned these words, which reads, if they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of the enemies who carry them captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then here in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer, and their plea and maintain their cause. See, exile was not to result in amnesia. Exile was not to result in a spiritual amnesia. Friends, do you know that the scriptures describe you and me who are in Christ as exiles, as foreigners, as pilgrims, as strangers in this world. And in the same way, our exile should not result in an amnesia of who our God is. We are exiles. We are foreigners in this world. We are without a home in the world. We await the world that is to come. And we ought to continually have that world at the back of our minds. We ought to have that coming world influencing all the decisions that we make in our lives. We remember all that the Lord has done for us chiefly through the coming of his son. If I lose you, if I lose sight of you, new Jerusalem, we should say, take away everything that we have, including our skills, our status, our wealth, our education, our everything. We should say we would rather have nothing than forget what the Lord has done for us. And we see in verse 6 that he begins to delight in God's dwelling place. If I do not remember you, if I do not set set Jerusalem above my highest joy, let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. The place where God dwells is the place where his people want to be. Even in our exile in this world, friends, we, we long for the world that is to come. That's why we can't live our best lives now. We long for a world that is to come. We set the world that is to come. The new Jerusalem is our highest joy. We indeed join Edwards when he says, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. We join the apostle Paul when he says, fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. We long for the world to come. We set it as our highest joy. And as the psalm progresses, we of course arrive at the last couple of verses that are, that are difficult to comprehend for us. But what we see in this section from verses 7 to 9 is that the psalmist is Mad. He's angry. He's sad. But he commits final judgment to God. He doesn't take up the matters in his own hands. It, the, the, verse 7 begins by saying, remember, O Lord. In Hebrew, the word we translate to remember in English does not just mean a mere recollection. Of facts about a thing or about a person. It's not merely recalling something. Remembering in Hebrew is actually a call to action. The psalmist is calling God to act here, friends. And there are a number of psalms like this. Uh, they are called imprecatory psalms. Uh, to imprecate simply means to invoke evil upon. curse upon an enemy and the Psalms are filled with so many imprecations and this can be confusing for us in the modern day and let's look at them together look at verse 7 the the Psalmist is asking God to deal with those who wanted to destroy them or rather who wanted them destroyed. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. So what was happening was when the Babylonians were destroying Zion, which was the capital city, the Edomites were shouting, lay it bare, lay it bare, meaning destroy everything. We want to see Jerusalem flat to its ground. But who are the Edomites? The Edomites are the descendants of Esau. So remember Jacob and Esau. So this is, this is extended family. So it stung a little bit more for the Israelites to hear their extended family that they're estranged to shouting for Jerusalem to be completely wiped out of the earth. See, in the world, we don't only have people who Perpetuate injustices, but we have those that actually enjoy watching it and clap their hands. They are perhaps addicted to pain, watching other people in pain, or addicted to watching other things or other people being destroyed. This was the case with the Edomites, and and the psalmist is angry at that. And so he's saying, Lord, remember, remember the Edomites. Remember them. In other words, do something about it. Friends, I want us to note that this person, this psalmist, could have simply asked to say, Lord, give me the strength to, to fight back against the Edomites. But but he doesn't. He he actually is asking that the Lord acts on his behalf when it comes to his enemies. And this is an incredible amount of trust in the Lord. Because sometimes the desire to see justice done when injustices have been done can be so strong that we are tempted to act on our own. But the psalmist wants God to avenge for him. Because God's people respond to injustices with lament and they trust their God who will fight on their behalf. In verses 8 and 9, the psalmist also asks God to deal with those that mistreated him. So in verse 7, he's asking for God to act against the Edomites, who were they were just clapping and, and shouting and jeering as they were facing um, uh, invasion from the Babylonians. But the next verse he prays against the Babylonians. It says, "O oh daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. The psalmist wants vengeance, but he clearly will not be the person to mete it out. The psalmist calls this person, who will destroy the daughter of Babylon, blessed. This is a prayer of someone who is angry at injustice. But instead of seeking the execution of that justice themselves, they're asking that the Lord be the one to avenge them. Because God's people, in the face of injustice, lament, and they trust their God who will fight on their behalf. Now, I don't think this means that we see injustice and just ignore and close our eyes. I don't think this is what it means at all. I think we still pursue ways to fight for peace and to fight for justice any ways that are available in whatever jurisdiction we are in. But friends, God's people never want to act on their own when it comes to this. You want to know why? Because an enemy of God's people is an enemy of God and an enemy of God is an enemy of God's people. So ultimately, however you cut and slice it, these people were enemies of God and God knows best how to deal with his own enemies. He will deal with them. We read the horrendous words of verse 9. Dashing little ones on a rock. It was common practice in this time in the wars in the Near East. For people to come and ransack a city, snatch babies, and dash them on a rock. The Psalmist and all the other Hebrews had seen their own babies dashed on rocks. And in his prayer to God, he's asking God to do to the Babylonians what they did to them. An eye for an eye, if you will. And again, he says that whosoever this executioner is will be blessed. That, that was occurred twice, right? Follow along with me. He says that the one who destroys the daughter of Babylon will be blessed in verse 8. But in verse 9, he says, the one who will dash the babies on a rock, that person too will be blessed. Meaning, this person will be special. This person will be um, different. This person will have some form of favor upon them. I must admit, as I read this psalm, I, I am tempted to place myself in the shoes of the psalmist. You You probably are doing the same, right? You're saying... Uh, we, we are taking the, the, the leading role. We are the, the, the psalmist. We are the, the Jews, the Israelites. And in some ways, that's okay. But the honest truth, friend, is both by historical context. The, the Babylonians are the Gentiles and probably are Jews amongst us. But most of us are probably Gentiles in this room. But further than that, all of us have been enemies of God and perhaps some of us sitting in this room are enemies of God right now. We have lied, we have cheated, we have hated, we have mocked, we have mistreated others with our words and our actions. We have sought to serve our own agendas. And friends, that will not go unpunished. That will not go unpunished. And if you are an enemy of God, what's coming your way is exactly this type of doom, judgment, and destruction. And if it scares you to think about Babylon being destroyed or to think about babies being dashed on a rock, that judgment is coming for you. But God... Being gracious and kind has made a way out. Instead of dashing our children on rocks, God has dashed his own son on a rock so that we, through faith in him, will be able to experience a a renewed relationship with him. Friends, this is the scandal of the gospel that these people that are wicked and evil that are causing the destruction of Zion can be renewed in relationship with God. Where the psalmist is praying that please dash their own children on a rock, God answers that by sending his own son and dashing him and killing him and crushing him on their very behalf. That through his son, who's dashed and crushed, they can experience a renewed relationship with him. This is scandalous. So God's people respond to injustices with lament and they trust their God who will fight on their behalf. And clearly God doesn't fight in the way that we think. One commentator says, in the face of monstrous evil, the worst possible response is to feel nothing. What must be felt is grief, rage, and and outrage. And in the absence of these, evil becomes acceptable and evil becomes commonplace. Friends, evil is not commonplace in the sight of God. He will judge he will remember when you look at the world around us do you see evil I do when you look at your own heart do you see evil I do not yours but mine To forget and ignore that is to submit to evil. And friends, what happens is we, we wither and we die. But when we see evil and we resist evil and we seek faithfulness towards God, it is right there that we begin to live again. It is right there where we begin to see Christ as the one who came and took upon himself all the evil that was supposed to be judgment against the wickedness of the world. And that through him, we who are wicked and evil can be reconciled to God. Another commenter adds and says, As we pray and reflect upon Psalm 137, we remember and are retaught of the pain of exile, the horrors of war, the the terror of despair and death. And indeed, we remember the loneliness of the cross. God's people respond to injustices, not any other way but by lamenting injustices and trusting God to fight on their behalf. And friends, he has fought on our behalf by sending us his son, the Lord Jesus comes and he invades our exilic state. He frees us from our captors, which are sin and death. He gives us a new song. And friends, while we still lament and weep and moan all the injustices in a post-Genesis 3 world, we do so with an incredible amount of hope. You want to know why? Because, friends, The new Jerusalem is coming. It looks like it doesn't exist right now because we can't physically see it, but it is coming. We will be free again. We will be with the lover of our souls once again. We're almost home. God's people respond to injustices by lamenting. But we trust that our God would fight on our behalf. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we long for the day where our faith is turned to sight. Lord, we long for the day when you will deal with evil and pain and sorrow and injustice. Father, we long for the day when we will be free again from the captivity of sin and death. And Father, in that day we want to sing Songs of Zion for you. But Lord, until then, help us to be faithful. Help us to continually remember what you have done for us. Help us to continue setting Jerusalem as our highest delight. Lord, may we see evil around us and may we be filled with grief and sorrow. And may that cause us to lament and express our grief and sorrow to you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. It's through your son's name we pray these things. Amen.